Awesome. Well, a special welcome to uh, transfer students or new students, uh, anybody who's never been to the well before. We are so, so, so glad that you are here. Uh, Our hope is that this can be a place where you can come as you are. Uh, As we just heard our friend Lene share, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have have all your stuff together. We hope that this can be a place where you can be who you are. You feel welcomed here. We hope this can be a place where you have friendships. um, And ultimately, we hope that the well is a place where you can have an encounter with the living God. Um, We are strong believers in the importance of community. And so we hope that this isn't just a place where you come and you leave and you come and you leave without actually getting to know some of the people around you. So what I want to do right now is I want to give you a chance to meet some people around you. I want you to get into groups of like three or four, all right? Introduce yourselves. The typical questions of like your name, your year, your major, you know, those kinds of things. And then I also want you to name what is one thing that you love to do or you're just kind of good at. Okay, something that you love to do or something that you're kind of good at, whether it's sports or art or whatever. So name your major and what is one thing that you love to do. And Marcus, set, go. Hey. Our hope is that you can find some time to continue these conversations after the well, before the well, all of that kind of stuff as well. I can't remember if I even introduced myself. My name is Ben Post. I'm on staff with Campus Ministry. Uh, I don't have a major anymore, thankfully. I graduated, so that's exciting. And something that I love to do, I like sports. I like watching sports. I like participating in sports. I'm tall, so people assume I play basketball. Uh, I enjoy basketball, but I'm not necessarily like, amazing at it. Uh, I, like, I like running. Um, anyway, that's something about me. Uh, anyway, this year at The Well, we are studying the story of the Bible. And we have this thing here, a a little timeline that one of our uh, leaders created for us with these graphics. We're kind of telling the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation throughout the year together this year. Um, And we also created these, these timelines that you can take with you. If you don't have one of these and you would like one, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring you one right now if you would like. It's got a little timeline on it, and then it has a nice little map of like the land of Israel in it. And then inside, it's like an abbreviated Bible reading plan that you could be reading through the Bible together with us this year, or stories that you can read in between uh, week to week kind of deal. So if you would like one of these, go ahead and raise your hand. We got some people that were uh, hooking up with one of those. Uh, and it'd be fun to keep reading the story together this year. Um, The last time we were together seems like a very, very, very long time ago, right? In December, before Christmas break, um, Stacy was here in Allendale, and she was telling us about the story of Ruth, Ruth and Boaz, and that amazing love story. And that story took place during the time period of the Judges, which is this little, you know, gavel thing right here. Okay, so that's the story we looked at last. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. We're going to talk about the story of David and Goliath. Okay, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. And again, if you don't have a Bible but would like one, just go ahead and raise your hand. we got some people in the back that would love to hook you up with a Bible. And if you, you know, don't own a Bible, you can keep it if you want to. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 
Uh, actually, before we read uh, the story, I want to give a little bit of, uh, of context to what's going on uh, in this story. So here's a map of the ancient world. Okay, here's a map of the ancient world. And right in the middle, oops, back one slide. Right in the middle here is where God decided he wanted to put his people and his story. He wanted them to be in the middle of the middle of the middle so that they could be a light to the nations around them. Okay? And now the Philistines are a people group uh, who were not following in the ways of God. They were pagan people. They lived on the coast. They had these five major cities that are there in blue. Um, They worshipped the pagan god of Dagon. Okay? So that's the Philistines. And at this time, God's people, the Israelites, they lived in the, the mountains or the, the Judean mountains, the Judean hills, uh, if you will. Now, the Israelites and the Philistines, they were often battling for control of the land that was in between them, okay? And that land that is in between them is known as the Shephelah. Say Shephelah. Shephelah is a Hebrew word that's usually translated as like lowlands or foothills or something like that. It's about 12 or 15 miles wide. Uh, It's comprised of these like rolling hills. It looks like this, okay? Um, And so the Shephelah is kind of between the coast uh, and the Judah mountains in the east. Three factors that give significance to this region of land known as the Shephelah, okay? Number one, the main trade route went through this land here, okay? So this is the main trade route. You can see this right here, all the way from Egypt to Mesopotamia, right along the coast and right near the Shephelah region as well. There were six wide valleys, one, two, three, four, five, and the sixth one's not on the map, but there are six wide valleys that kind of went east-west, kind of connecting the coast to the mountains, okay? And so if you needed, if you're traveling along the ancient international coastal highway and you wanted to get into the mountains, you would travel through one of those smaller side streets, if you will, in order to get to the mountains. So those six valleys were very, very, very crucial uh, as well. Um, And these valleys also produced incredible crops, They were an agricultural-based people, and agriculture was very, very, very important. There's not a lot of agriculture on the coast, not a lot of agriculture in the mountains. This is where the agriculture was. And so the Philistines on the coast and the Israelites in the mountains were always fighting over control of the Shephelah because of the routes, because of the agriculture, and these kinds of things. So the Shephelah was was often a place where... um, the ways of the world and the ways of God and his people were just kind of at a crossroads. The Philistines were constantly trying to push this direction and they're trying to push their worldview and their values. And the Israelites were trying to push back this way and say, no, God is the one who is on the throne and this is the way we should live our lives. This kind of sets the stage for the well-known story of David and Goliath. Before I read uh, this story, I just want to want to pray together. So please pray with me. God, here we are. We are here tonight in this room. Some of us are here in this room tonight because we tend to come here regularly. 
And maybe there's somebody in here tonight who has never been here before and they don't really know why they're here. Some of us come here tonight excited and ready to go for the new year and others come here tonight just totally overwhelmed and discouraged, afraid. So God, however we come here tonight, I pray that you will help us be present to you and to what you might want to say to us tonight. We can gather in this, pla- in this place and we can sing songs and we can read these stories, but nothing, uh, not, all of this is meaningless without you. And so come, Lord Jesus, and speak to us tonight. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. It's kind of a really long story, so I'm just going to read a few verses and then talk about it for a little bit and then read a few more verses, and we'll just kind of walk through the story together that way tonight. So we'll start in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, And drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. Okay, so here's a picture. Uh, A couple of places that were mentioned. So Soko is here. The uh, Philistines are encamped at Soko. Uh, Azekah is just off the map over here. That was also mentioned in this story. Uh, And the Philistines are pushing towards the east, towards the Judean hills. So this direction is east, okay? Um, and the Israel is in the Ela Valley. So you can see the Ela Valley here. It's wide, it's green, it's amazing, which is, you know, not very common in the land of Israel. And also, if you are looking at this and you're like, okay, this doesn't quite make sense to me, but I want it to make sense to me, you can come with Stacy and I in May, and we're going to stand in the Ela Valley, and we'll, you know, talk about the story over there again. Come with us. Uh, also, you'll note that there's a, uh, a gas station right here, and so that's where the Philistines were able to fill up their chariots, I'm sure. <laughs> Verse 4, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. A cubit is like 18 inches, so he's like nine feet tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He probably played basketball. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then I will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly Afraid. 
Okay, so Goliath is defying the ranks of Israel. He is defying the God of the Israelites over and over and over again, actually, in this text. And it says that Saul and the people of Israel were afraid. Okay? Goliath was nine feet tall. And he's got all of this armor on him. And at this time, there's only two Israelites in the entire army who even had a sword. Saul and Jonathan. Nobody else in the army even had any kind of, like, weapon, really. And so it kind of makes sense to me that they would be uh, afraid, right? Um, Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Aminadab, and the third, Shammah. Okay? So Ephrathah is another name for Bethlehem. Okay? And Jesse sends his oldest sons, his three oldest sons, to battle. Why does he send his three oldest sons to battle? Whoops, what happened here? Um, we're not going to worry about that because it's out of order. But we're going to keep going. Um, Bethlehem is just down the road. Bethlehem and Azekah are... 12 miles apart. Okay? So, uh, Jesse is sending his sons to battle because they know that their home is coming next. If the Philistines are keeping to push east, uh, Jesse and his home are going to be in trouble in Bethlehem. Okay? Uh, Verse 14. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. All right. So David is a shepherd boy. Uh, Can you guys put up a picture of the shepherd? There you go. Thank you. So David's a shepherd boy. This was a job that was typically for the youngest child in the family, whether it was a son or a daughter. And the text says that morning and evening, Goliath would come out and he would taunt the Israelites every morning and every evening for 40 days. Now, there's reason to believe that morning and evening were actually the two different times for worship for the Israelites. So for 40 days, Goliath comes out at the time of worship and he taunts the Israelites during their time of worship every morning, every evening, for 40 straight days. And then David was sent by his father Jesse to the battlefield. Jesse says to David, okay, go from Bethlehem, go to the battlefield, and check on your brothers. Which I think is just an interesting, like, I I tried to wrap my mind around that this week. Like, okay, what would that be like if my parents were like, okay, we don't really, we can't really watch the news. There's no such thing as social media. We know that there's this war going on. So, hey, Ben, why don't you go to the Middle East? Why don't you go to Iran and tell us really what's going on over there? Like, what what father is like, this is a good idea? It just seems like a weird thing to me. But, I mean, that's what's going on. So David goes to the front lines to find out what's going on with his brothers. Jump with me to verse 22. David left the little things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks 
and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. So David comes along, he's like, wait, what's going on? Why is everybody afraid? Who is this guy that's just like talking smack about our God? Can somebody catch me up on what the problem is, what's going on here? Okay, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Okay, this last detail here in verse 49, almost every kid's Bible and almost every Bible movie gets this part wrong. It says, Goliath has the stone sink into his forehead and he falls which direction? Face down. Almost all the illustrations have Goliath on his back, which is, it makes sense because if you get blown in the head like this, you might fall backwards, right? But it says he falls face down. Why? Because face down is a position of worship. And over and over and over again, Goliath is defying God and defying the God of the Israelites. And David comes along, slings a stone, hits him in the forehead, and Goliath falls face down. And David is saying, my God is bigger than you and your God. This is David's story. It's a well-known story. Many in this room have probably heard it before. Come March, it'll be used in some March Madness, you know, matchup or something like that, where some 16 seed upsets a number one seed. Or We use this analogy in a lot of things in our world. It's a well-known story. This is David's story. And there's a couple questions I want to ask us tonight to help us reflect on our story in light of David's story. Okay, the first question I want to ask is where? Can you guys put that question up there? Where? The Shephelah was a place where God's people and their values clashed with the values and the practices of the world. Where are the Shephelahs in our culture today? Where are these crossroads where, where the places where God's people and the, the people of the world are just kind of clashing, fighting for what's right? It's actually one of the reasons why I love being at a place like Grand Valley, doing what we get to do here. Grand Valley has all the things that a state university typically has going on, right? There's all these opportunities for the ways of the world. And there's something that's rich and sacred about a community of people who say, no, we want to follow in the ways of God. But there's this crossroads of these two, and we feel this tension regularly, don't we? And we have this opportunity in these moments. We can be like the Israelites and we can say, you know what, let's just run up to the hills. Let's just run up to the mountains and let's just hope that they don't come and attack us. We'll create our own little Christian bubble and we'll just pretend everything's going to be okay. Or we can say, you know, like David, our God is bigger and we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to be afraid of the people that are coming against us. We're not going to be afraid of the ways of the world because God is on our side and the battle belongs to the Lord. The other question I want to ask is how? How did David defeat Goliath? Well, first of all, how didn't he defeat Goliath? Well, he didn't do it by using Saul's armor, right? There's that awkward, awkward few verses where he tries them on and he's like, I, I don't know how to... I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to use a sword. I've never had a sword before in my life. So he doesn't use Saul's armor. They weren't a good fit. And I think David probably felt pressure to use Saul's armor, probably for obvious reasons. I should probably put some armor on and have a sword against that 
enormous human being over there, right? But it wasn't him. David was a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd boy. And what do you think a teenage boy did day after day after day and night after night after night in a field all by himself with a bunch of sheep? He's throwing stones. Typical boy stuff, right? So a few years ago, I was hanging out with my brother on his birthday, December 31st. And uh, I decided to take him out for his birthday. We went to Chuck E. Cheese. Right? Because when you're in your 30s, you go do boy stuff and you bring your brother to Chuck E. Cheese to celebrate. And so what did we do? Well, we played basketball. And we, uh, we like played basketball and football and skee-ball and we like broke all the records that the little kids had like set previously, right? And we went frisbee golfing in the winter. It was awesome. And, you know, we love to play Frisbee, and we're, like, you know, doing our thing, playing this game. But it's also snowing outside. And so boys are just weird. I know this. But, like, we started having this other game within the game, right? So let's, let's make a snowball, and now let's have target practice. We're already playing target practice with Frisbee golf, but now let's have target practice. Let's see how many snowballs it takes before you can hit that tree. Right? We're just do. It's weird, right? This, but this is what we do. This is what boys do. Ladies, this is what boys do. Men, right? Yes. Let's figure out a game to play, right? So what do you think David is doing all day, every day as a shepherd boy? He's figuring out how to play a game with rocks because that's all there is in the land of Israel is rocks everywhere. And he's with his sheep and they're just rocks and he's got this sling and he's just slinging it and he's practicing. And yes, it's also to defeat the other animals that are coming to protect the sheep, but he's also just a bored teenage boy. He doesn't have a phone to scroll all day. He's got to do something else with his life, right? By the way, a sling is, is not a toy. You guys put up that picture. Yeah, here we go. So a few years ago, I ran into a friend who had spent some time in Afghanistan. And he said, I have witnessed boys slinging rocks like this. And he said, they can sling it 400 yards a hundred miles an hour. I would literally rather take my chances with a bullet than with a stone like this. That's what he said. So a sling is not a toy. It definitely is a weapon that David had, right? David used his sling and his stones to protect the sheep. And what I love about the story is then Goliath comes along. And David trusted in and he used the gifts that God had already given him. I love imagining David, you know, a typical shepherding day, doing his thing with his sheep. And he's just bored teenage boy skipping rocks, slinging rocks all day, every day. I just wonder how many days David felt annoyed by the mundaneness of his life as a shepherd. And I wonder how many days David felt jealous of his older brothers who had already graduated and already doing their big boy jobs and, you know, whatever, and he's just stuck here as a shepherd boy.
you think there were ever times when David just wished the shepherd boy season would be passed by? Yet God used that season to prepare and equip David for what was to come. So my question for you is, what about you? How might God be using this season of your life right now to prepare you for what is yet to come? How might God be using the experiences that you're walking through right now, whether they're really good and fun experiences or really difficult experiences? Seasons of life. How might God be using them? How might he use them in the future for what is yet to come with your life? How might he use your classes that you're sitting in right now and you're like, can we please just graduate already? I don't want to keep paying this tuition bill. I want to go do something with my life. I want to go, and you're sitting and you're waiting for these classes to get over. How might God want to use this season of your life? How might God want to use the classes you're currently taking or the internship that you're in right now to prepare you for what God has in store for your future? How might God use the people that are in your life? How might God use this community to prepare and equip you for what God has in store for you. As I was thinking about this this week, I actually decided to reach out to a few CM alumni. What is it like on the other side for you? So I asked them two questions. The first question was, how has God used your time at Grand Valley through class or internships or campus ministry to prepare you for what you are doing right now? And the second question was, how are you able to express your faith in your workplace? And I was just so overwhelmed with the number of responses that I got back. Alumni who are now teachers, nurses, a movie theater manager, pastors, accountants, counselors, moms, all these different categories replied. Here's how God used my time at Grand Valley. Here's how God, here's how I'm able to express my faith in my current context. I thought it was so amazing and so powerful. Here's, here's one quote. I wish I could read all the emails that I got back, but here's one quote. God used my classes to prepare me for my job because it showed me a passion for this kind of work. Through my math and stats classes, I learned how cool God is. I love that. I used to struggle with the thought of working a secular job. However, I did not feel called to become a pastor, so how could I work in ministry? It wasn't until my internship with campus ministry during my senior year that opened my eyes to this. I can be an organized spreadsheet lover and work in ministry. My faith grew immensely through my experiences in campus ministry. With this strengthened faith, I am able to show Christ's love through my actions at work. Also, I developed my passion for serving. With my involvement in campus ministry serve local team, I have organized opportunities for my coworkers to volunteer at Kids Food Basket during work hours. It has been so fun to share this passion with my coworkers. David was a shepherd boy. And going through that season of his life as a shepherd boy had no idea what was yet to come. But God had a plan for his life. You. 
you're a student. You have no idea what God has in store for your life. And I love that God used the very thing that David was already good at to declare to the world who God is. I mean, David says this. He said, that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. This is why David fought that battle. It's not because he wanted to be a superhero. He wanted the world to know who God is. This was David's mission. And God used the very thing that David was already good at to declare to the world who God is. David showed up and he threw his stone. And I firmly believe that God wants to use you and your gifts to declare to the world who God is. Will you throw your stone? Will you be you? Don't worry about the gifts that you don't have. Don't worry about the gifts that the people next to you have. Don't be jealous of other people and the gifts and the passions that they have. God wants to use you and your gifts to declare to the world who he is. So what hobbies do you have? What passions do you have? What what gifts do you have? Not just your major, not just your future occupation, but what are the things that God is stirring in you and how might God use those things to declare to the world who he is? He is. Over Christmas break, I got the chance to uh, take a tour of uh, Copes, which is an automation company in Holland. Uh, and the COO there goes to our church, and he just invited Stacey and I to come and, and take a tour of his place. And it was so amazing to walk around that place and the work that they are doing. There's a couple of CM alumni that work there, and it was so fun to watch them using their engineering gifts and hear how God is using them to declare to the world who God is. Like David, they are throwing their stone. Will you throw your stone? God wants to use you and your gifts, not that that your name can be great, but that God's name can be glorified so that all the world may know who God is. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this story. Thank you for somebody like David who was young, who maybe didn't have the the armor, but who was totally unafraid. Because he knew who you were. So God, I just pray tonight that you will help each and every one of us, myself included, have a greater understanding of who you are and the ways that you might want to use us and use the gifts and use the passions and use the the majors that we are in. Whether it's nursing or teaching or accounting or engineering or uh, sports teams that we are a part of. God, I pray that you will use us, that we will be willing to be used by you 
not just to get ahead and to have a great job and get the best pay, but that we can figure out how do we use the gifts and the desires you give us to declare your name. Thank you for the ways that you stand with us. Thank you for the ways that you you prepare us and that you equip us for the things that we don't even know what is to come. So help us tonight to trust the season that we are in. Believing and wondering what is yet to come. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.